1: We welcome you to 2020 with uh, Bite Into It. Um, We're all looking uh, very uh, tanned, very summery. Uh, Our hair is kind of um, trailing down our backs and looking very windblown. Um, But we're excited to be here. It feels like it's been ages. Um, Tonight, um, behind the panel, we have Joe, we have Vanessa, we have Ro and myself. Warren, how are you all?
0: Great. You're right. I've definitely tried to bring the beach hair in with me.
2: How about the rest of you? (laughs) Um, my housemate described me as looking like a 70s
3: Californian beach babe the other oh, day, so Stella. I'll take it.
1: Yeah,
3: mm-hmm. I'm so scruffy, I've gone the headscarf, so <laughs> staying on brand, it's good to know. It. <laughs>
1: um, it's going to be great. Uh, a big thank you to uh, our summer broadcasters uh, who've uh, been taking care of you um, over the past few weeks. Uh, Jess Lilly, who brought, uh, brought us a month of design-focused radio with Faster Horses. Um, Also some others.
0: Yeah, uh, big thank you to Marion Blythe also for the Christmas night special, which which happened to fall on a Wednesday. And to our familiar neighbour in slot, Anthony Carew, for a very special extra three-hour edition of the International Pop Underground at the end of last year. Mm. So, yeah, thanks for, for owning the slot for us and really enjoyed the listening.
1: Tonight. Uh, On the show, we do have uh, a couple of interesting guests. Um, We have uh, Brony Cole, who has been on the show uh, once or twice before, but uh, she's got uh, a new thing to talk about, the future of sex. Um, which is a, uh, I guess, a platform itself. Oh, sorry.
0: Sorry. The Future of Sex is a, is a podcast that she's famous for running, but she is mm. here for Pause Fest um, as well. And she's also here to run the Melbourne Sex Tech Hackathon. So we'll probably mm. focus on that a bit this evening. Uh, later tonight in the show, we also want to chat about how a disability support not-for-profit is assisting people coping with the bushfire season. So, yeah, stick around if you want to get a few insights into that very uh, positive story
3: now moving into news uh, tiktok of course is just the absolute juggernaut social media beast that it is at the moment and um we'd like to say that hashtag the tiktok doc will see you now um, <laughs> MDs or GPs as we say in Australia are turning TikTok into a less than a minute clinic. Obviously TikTok is so popular because it's visual, it's fast, it's furious and it's a whole lot of fun and we've got Dr Danielle Jones who's a gynecologist dishing out advice on you know busting myths and what to do if the condom breaks and Dr Rose Leslie who specialises in family medicine has been talking about exercise, coronavirus, HPV vaccine and these doctors are dishing up the likes. Dr. Danielle Jones, 4.2 million likes. Uh, Dr. Rose Leslie, 9.7 million likes. So it sounds like it's a really wonderful news story. And, you know, we're all here for great information and accurate information getting out there.
0: It's so fantastic to Mm. see, you know, health professionals meeting teenagers where they're really spending a lot of time Mm. and and being willing to, you know, take on, oh, this may not work and it could be
3: a bit embarrassing. And, you know, but how can we reach out and, and really amplify our messages? Exactly. And it's working an absolute treat, except for in certain circumstances. Um, like any social platform, um, TikTok has got its nuances around censorship and the can-dos and the can't-dos. And uh, condom is a definite can't-do. So some very benign uh, sex education TikToks have actually been pulled down because they demonstrated you know, how to get a condom wrapper off without breaking the condom. Wow. So you can... And presumably them, you show them.
0: not on actual bodies, but no, on, you know, no. innocent props. An, an actual
3: teacher wearing a T-shirt and a jacket going, hi guys, here's how you open yeah, it without breaking it yeah. and got pulled down. Wow! So, um, you know, I guess the the good news is at least that um, teenagers are flocking to it. They are taking the advice well. Um, we've just got to really skirt around what the TikTok, you know, masters that they think is a good thing or not.
1: Very interesting. Uh, I have, as well as been um, spending a fair bit of time on TikTok over summer, <laughs> also been taking an interest in uh, air travel and uh, sustainable air travel. There was some good stuff um, coming up in um, at Davos in Switzerland at the World Economic Forum. Some mm. interesting chats there. But um, as we are uh, one of the cities chosen by uh, Uber for their air taxi trial uh, coming up soon, I kind of feel like it's a city thing now. We've got um, many claims to fame and now we are an, uh, an uh, air taxi trial city um uh our neighbors in new zealand are also getting their own trial um whisk uh have announced a um electric uh vehicle uh or an electric drone uh trial is coming up on the uh south island of new zealand um uh government there has supported um uh, i guess a more exploratory environment um around um autonomous air uh, travel uh and they've got a few things coming up and whisk is actually supported by uh boeing um who are i guess probably interested in finding um Uh, more novel and diverse um, types of transport Um, but also um, Kitty Hawk which is a a cool kind of little business um, based Mm. on the one of the early planes the Kitty Hawk yeah.
0: Mm. So Warren question without notice are all Mm. of these services generally not involving a pilot in the air taxi are they Mm. sort of autonomous and Mm. Ah, yeah.
1: interesting. So the one, um, the one for the one that Melbourne's going to be getting soon. Um, uh, yeah, you'll just call it on the app. Um, you'll just be there's a few there's a few pads around Melbourne. I th- from memory, it was about six or eight pads. You'll sort of catch a lift to the top of the building. Um, maybe yours <laughs> yeah. in, in, down in Southbank. And um, yeah, you just jump in, and they've got limited range, but um, and also limited destinations. So you can't just go anywhere with it. You can't go to your friend's party in Brunswick. It's no, diff- to... no different to
0: an Uber what pool. A shame. <laughs> you can get at the closest nearby stop. <laughs>
1: exactly, exactly. So it'll take you to the, uh, it, I think it's just the airport run to start with, but then they'll um, broaden it out if it goes well. Um, but yeah, this one in New Zealand's great. I think. I'm very interested in uh, how we can get away from um, using uh, airline fuel. Um, the 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 sort of power to. Um, Power-to-performance ratio is about 50 to one at the moment. So to get the same um, the same performance uh, as um, say 300,000 litres of air fuel, you need sort of 50 times the weight in battery. And they're trying to get that down to about biofuels are about 10 to one, mm-hmm. um, but they're trying to get it down to you know one to one. But I think um, these are interesting. This this cute little guy that they're running, um, Whisk, um, has only got a range of about 40 miles before it gets tuckered out and kind of has to put <laughs> down. So yeah, I don't know. Melbourne's huge, so I'm not sure. Maybe we'll have to take, like, two hops if you wanted to go from, like, Sunshine to Frankston or something for a party.
0: Gee, it'd have to be game. Mm. Uh, it's... <laughs> It's obviously easier up in space to to you know get an autonomous vehicle going around and working with the rules but still there's so many challenges there.
1: There's heaps of redundancy though they they only need like 3 or 4 engines to fly and most of them have 10 or 12. Yeah. So like imagine driving around in two or three cars kind of like together and you I only think need it's one. It's just more
0: the regulatory kind of sure. like things to get through that I'm thinking about where there actually are a lot of rules about airspace and the height and everything mm. and then when things classify and I'm kind of wondering you know, especially if people are taking these to an airport, mm. like at what point does air traffic control go? Mm. Let's just make sure you're out of our space. and well, yeah. we can't kind of,
1: even kind of get bike lanes right. You know? yeah. So how are we going to get this right?
0: Fascinating. Well, thanks for sharing that. Uh, another piece of news that was just epic this week in the tech space was uh, following the US Democratic Party journey as they try and choose a nominee. Um, while they were on their way to deciding that, they employed uh, the Democratic Party in Iowa employed a group named Shadow to create what was the Shadow app. This company had less than two months to build an app for reporting on the caucus results. Um, so pretty much, you had the Iowa Democratic Party getting people at that particular caucus to, you know, put their votes towards different Democratic candidates. Um, there were real problems with the technology that ended up being produced. Um, In in addition to being difficult to download and use, um, it also ended up delivering incorrect tallies. And it's been a bit of a scandal. I think it's a scandal more because it's such a bad sign that they've tried to use a technological solution and it's failed badly when you actually look at the amount of money that they invested you know it's around the 100k mark and the level of experience involved people without web application experience some very junior devs actually on the tools uh lack of testing lack of you know testing at scale you think It would have been easy to predict that this might happen. Mm. Um, We've got our own uh, sort of data security and election expert people commenting on this sort of issue in Australia. Uh, Dr Vanessa Teague is an expert in the space at Melbourne University and she's given us advice in the past about, you know, why she thinks it's so problematic trying to embed voting in electronic technologies rather than the the more sort of manual techniques that we use, you know, because it's very difficult problems of, you know, anonymity plus, you know, authentication and I think we've seen that that rule of thumb kind of borne out in this example. It's just maybe it's just not a great idea, it certainly wasn't executed well here May, and you know, and how could you expect it to be for such a little time and money investment?
3: Exactly. I think the, the outcome is almost as predictable as gravity for um, something that has the gravitas of a voting system mm. to have been pulled together on a very small budget considering the importance of it and the the lack of testing um yeah there's lots of interesting
0: articles about it the New York Times one is probably you know one of the most comprehensive Mm. and and worth reading up if you're interested in this space but you know if you're a little app developer out there thinking about opportunities to to make a difference maybe approach these sort of problems with a lot of caution I would say
3: (laughs) yeah I think that's wise (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, another thing to be careful about is the coronavirus. We've yes. all been sort of keeping an eye on that um, in recent weeks. And, um, yeah, hopefully it does start to, I guess, kind of stabilise and, and the efforts to kind of limit it um, are rewarded. But... It does impact uh, on technology as well, um, uh, as it would. Um, Apple have recently uh, revised down their uh, their export and um, uh, purchase predictions for um, the coming quarter um, based on, uh, I guess, a, a big impact on their uh, manufacturing centre uh, over in China. Uh, a Chinese analyst has said uh, they now expect to ship uh, around 10% less phones uh, due to uh, decreased production caused by illness um, in parts of China. Um, so... Yeah, I think...
0: um, Yeah, they're not unique in this, are they? I mean, we've seen massive effects on stock exchanges around mm. the world, including in Australia, just because of the amount of manufacturing and, and, um, you know, purchasing of things that comes out of China. Mm. And that can be both ways, you know, our exports to China being slowed down also.
1: Mm. I did read a great um, piece from a a journalist from Hong Kong who'd been sort of cut off from her family in uh, in Wuhan and... Mm. um, Oh, it's just amazing. Maybe I'll even try and retweet it from the Byte account just about how... um, uh, things like these viruses uh, demonstrate how isolated we can be, but how it does bring us all together and we're all united. So, you know, if China falls, we all fall with it, which was really interesting. There's been just some awful stuff out there on on Reddit and, and even, um, I mean, TikTok as well. I've seen some terrible stuff about the virus going around. Um, but, yeah, I'll, I'll share that. That's a back-channel conversation.
0: Yeah. You're right, but the way... Sorry. I've been really enjoying how people have been using um, social media to... Uh, Sort of dispel the myths around it and um, try and stop people from being so xenophobic.
1: Mm. Mm,
0: definitely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Even kind of mask culture. Like, I kind of, um, when we had the deepest of the smoke in sort of the first half of January, I started um, wearing a mask just because I was getting concerned about, you know, all those P2s or whatever they were in the atmosphere. And it's just weird, it's not something that we do well or easily in Australia, whereas I think um, uh, communities around the world are much more familiar with it and, oh. and good at um, kind of like trapping colds and just minor bugs and just better at sanitation. I feel we're and, not and as strong at that. And I think thinking
0: of it as as um, a sort of community response and being community-minded to wear a mask, you know, yeah. n- to to protect other people and to protect ourselves, you know, not being it not being a selfish thing and yet in Australia I think, You know, as someone who has an Asian appearance in this room, Mm. being half Chinese, I I think that... um You know, you do sometimes get these side looks when you're wearing a mask or whatever, and you kind of want to have that conversation like, it's not you and it's not me, it's just like awareness. And this was, I bought this for the bushfires, but now the coronavirus happened, and I feel really awkward getting my mask out when my breathing's bad. And yeah, I think, uh, but I mean, I generally think people in Melbourne are pretty cool. I just, I just know that there's a few bad eggs, and I hope everyone's been kind to each other out there. Yeah,
3: absolutely. Yeah.
1: Uh, Another reason to be kind is um, we have lost a, uh, I guess, a fairly significant figure in the Australian um, uh, digital community, if I can call it that. Um, uh, Paul Shetler, um, who was, uh, I guess, a um, uh, larger-than-life character, uh, most recently working at the uh, Digital Transformation Agency um, uh, in Canberra, um, has uh, recently passed on. Um, But there's, uh, I guess, a good uh, in memoriam up from uh, Asher Wolf um, on Medium, which we can share as well. Um, I think, uh, I guess to Ash's credit and also to Paul's credit, um, not necessarily agreeing about the politics or the reasons behind projects um, was not too important, but realising that we uh, need to get better about um, conceiving, uh, planning and executing uh, large digital projects in Australia. I don't think it's somewhere something that we do particularly well, um, especially where government's deeply involved. Um, there's a great um, quote from Paul um, to that effect, um, uh, quoting him, Across most governments worldwide, and Australia is no exception, too many public servants working in back offices are often reduced to human APIs, retyping information from one system to another, and stuck processing the repetitive common cases that shouldn't need any human intervention at all. This is a waste of their talent and initiative. So I guess more from that um Uh, smaller liberal kind of point of view where you know people are talented and um, we should throw them into the the places where they're best needed and um, you know we should reduce duplication um, inefficiencies uh, etc so uh, yeah um, uh, thoughts to his family and um, uh, it's great that he's been able to make an impact on um, government and digital services in australia yeah
3: absolutely this is a podcast from triple r an independent media organization in melbourne australia Triple R is listener supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up the Triple R website to find out how.
1: You're listening to the first Bite Into It for 2020. Uh, we have Vanessa, Joe, jo, and Warren in the studio tonight.
3: Now we'd like to introduce our next guest. Bryony Cole joins us today to talk about the Melbourne Sex Tech Hackathon that she's hosting next weekend, um, which comes after hosting Australia's first ever sex tech hackathon in Sydney last year. Um, Bryony is really, really well known in the sex tech industry. She's a speaker, host of the Future of Sex podcast, a hackathon producer and an industry consultant. Psychology Today has described her as... As the world's leading authority on sex tech, thanks so much for joining us this evening, Bryony.
2: Thanks for having me.
3: So, for our listeners at home, um, what is sex tech, and why is it so important?
2: <laughs> yeah, sure. So, sex tech is really a mashup between sexuality and technology. So, the, the definition is any technology designed to enhance sexuality. And when we think about sexuality, we can think about it more than just the orgasm, right? The classic uh, orgasm. Sexuality is also around education, health, crime and violence reporting, medicine. So many innovations under sexuality that that fall in the sex tech category beyond just pleasure. Of course, it includes pleasure, too.
3: Absolutely. Um, it's a pretty huge industry and it's growing quite quickly. Um, so, you know, mm. one of the things we were interested in having a chat to you before we start talking about the um, hackathon is, you know, despite, you know, the work of a lot of people like yourself and um, people like Cindy Gallup, there still seems to be a, a substantial lack of engagement within the investment or the venture capital community. And why do you think that continues to be the case?
2: Yeah, it's pretty frustrating. I think, um, you know, sex is still taboo. It's still a taboo conversation, which keeps it out of the investment community. You think about morality causes often, um, or just plain people feeling uncomfortable with the topic. Um, Often we see VCs saying, oh, we we couldn't possibly do that. My wife would be angry. In fact, we're like, your wife would probably be really excited by that. (laughs) And um, female VCs as well. Um, you know, the, the sad thing is often female VCs get lumped uh, with all the sex tech opportunities and they don't want to be seen as the one that carries the, the, all the, the female-founded sex tech um, opportunities. So it's, it's a really tough industry to crack, which means a lot of the, the startup um, you know, entrepreneurs in sex tech often go the crowdfunding route first. Um, which seems to work well, Mm. but isn't a ton of money at the start to get started. You you definitely need some grit to push through the initial barriers when you don't have a cushion of funding behind you.
1: Brony, has it got any easier around um, the, um, I guess, um, coyness of large platforms, in advertising sex Sextech, um, I know early on it was hard to, I guess, broadcast and even advertise and, and acquire new users or, or customers. Is that getting any easier for, for sex tech business?
2: Or, you know, I think it's getting easier because we're finding hacks and ways around it, but still, you know, those classic tools that any entrepreneur wants to get started in business needs, you know, social media advertising, manufacturers or banking, it was pretty hard because you've got sex in the title. You know, there's a lot of censorship around that on Instagram we see, even just with nipples, but also Facebook trying to put any ads up. It's really tricky. You know, it's, we in the women of sex tech community, which I'm really honoured to be a part of since the inception in, in 2016 when there was 30 of us, there's now 250, um, we joke about, you know, and we collect these, Um, advertising sort of bans. We've also protested outside Facebook headquarters for them, but usually a success rate is about one in 80 tries to get that ad through Facebook.
1: Wow.
0: Well, we've seen some other really significant barriers to um, business owners who want to get products out in this space. So we've had important channels like the Consumer Electronics Show famously giving and then retracting prizes for sex tech companies. Mm. Do you think that um, as an industry you're making some headway in in terms of you know bringing them on board and, and getting them to realise how significant you know a market this is that's going untapped?
2: Yeah, you know what? I think it's changing. As, as much as I sort of drag it in terms of how much um, we face so many challenges, I do think it's changing. And I think, yeah, the great example is CES this year, who put sex tech, tech on the show floor. Admittedly, it was a trial run, mm. and it was a direct result of rescinding that award. But. Um, you know, those are the sort of platforms you need to be able to change the conversation and get it into the mainstream tech conversation. And then there's, you know, culture and ideas festivals. I'm here at Pause Fest tonight um, that are putting sex tech on the agenda. I think that's a great move, especially in Australia and then overseas in the US, um, festivals like South by Southwest that are shining a light on, on sex tech. I think that's good. And then I think um, just more mainstream in pop culture we're seeing, um, I'm sure you guys have seen Gwyneth Paltrow's vagina candle (laughs) uh, sold out.
0: (laughs) It's so funny you say that because we were wondering about celebrity advocacy and how much of a challenge that might be.
2: (laughs) You know what I think that's the that's the plan in the future is to get celebrities on board because it does move the conversation um, a lot faster and you know as much as you know Gwyneth gets torn down because she has these alternative ways of promoting things or maybe promoting <laughs> jade eggs you were but, so kind you know not the safest thing yeah <laughs> um we need more we need more of those people because it does again it makes it kind of normal to talk about what we're all really talking about here which is sex
1: Well, I think she'll be legit and accepted if she does a flashlight until that kind of happens. She's just kind of like tinkering around the edges.
2: Oh, too far. (laughs) That's a tough gig. The flashlight's a tough one to make normal.
3: Sorry, Um, so we've got our Melbourne Sex Tech Hackathon coming up, Um, sort of seeking into that conversation, what do you predict that the project priorities for this particular hackathon will be? Because obviously hackathons are a bit of a barometer of innovation and interest in the space.
2: Yeah, I mean, we're so excited to do one in Melbourne. I think we're going to have some really interesting results out of it. And also, you know, these hackathons, people are really, the people that are coming are really coming to make something and to build something, which is exciting. So we have four categories for this one. We have um, designing a sex toy, and we have the head of industrial design at RMIT, um, who also has taught the world's first sex toy design course. Dr. Judith Lover, she will be in and mentoring anyone that wants to learn how to build or make their own sex toy. Um, we have a disability category. Often, you know, people with disabilities are seen as invisible sexually, and they have needs and um, wants and everything too. the requirements. So we're hoping to see a few interesting products and services in sex around disability. We also have a general health um, and wellness category. Um, Johnny, who are a female founder. Melbourne-based vegan condom brand, uh, uh, sort of partnering with us on that. So that could be anything from, say, sex practices on an app to, you know, redesign the condom. And finally, we have a sort of a catch-all because sometimes people come to these hackathons with their own ideas already. I know we have a dad that's really interested in improving sex ed for kids. So we're just we're doing a catch-all category which is inclusivity could be anything, could be designing something for, you know, old folks in nursing homes. It could be designing <laughs> stuff for kids, designing stuff for yourself, but we just want to see the best of what Melbourne has to offer and we have brought together the best of the best in terms of who is in this local e- ecosystem making stuff already that can help guide people that are interested in starting business in Sextech. Mm.
0: Um, Bryony, we were fortunate to have Dr. Kate Devlin out in Melbourne last year to talk about her book, Turned On, Science, Sex and Robots. And she made some really interesting points there about how when people first hear about sex tech, they think of these fully functioning, you know, robot, android type things that that people are with and that really most of the development's at the other end of the scale. Um, Being so immersed in this industry, I wonder, do you have a sense of, you know, like the proportions of activity you're seeing, say, in the education and health space versus maybe the pleasure space? you know, or any other ways that you kind of categorise what's going on in the sector?
2: Yeah, so I see um, the last year has been, like, really exciting for female pleasure. Pleasure being the sort of last thing that people want to talk about because they associate it with porn or something dark and dirty. But, you know, there's a ton of these audio-based apps now and tools for females of erotic pleasure. You can listen to an erotic audio. Um, soundtrack with Dipsy or Quinn, and they're successfully raising money. So in that category for women, I think it's really exciting. We're starting to get into the pleasure beyond porn, and then the men in the health category, especially this year. I mean, we saw this at CES in in uh, January, is health. So this I, this concept that's been around for a while around sexual wellness, you kind of see it pop up in mostly female-based lifestyle media, definitely back to Gwyneth there, I think, as well. (laughs) But male sexual wellness is something we don't really talk about, right? And and, um, men tend to get, as you were saying before, flashlights and porn, but there's a whole heap of issues that do um, pertain to men, like premature ejaculation, erectile dysfunction. These are the most stigmatised issues around sex for men. We're now seeing alternative solutions through technology. Really interesting one at CES is um marari medical who have essentially created a band-aid band-aid for your taint um to solve premature ejaculation it uses neuromodulation that essentially sends shocks through to your prostate uh that delays ejaculation they're trying to commercialize this at the moment in
1: research but sounds fun pretty
2: interesting (laughs) we're gonna have (laughs) to to stop referring to to band-aid
0: solutions now you know now (laughs) that that's actually valid that's fantastic
2: uh, the other one in the category, which I think is interesting um, for men, is the Yo um, sperm testing app. Now that's been about for a couple of years now, and it essentially smartphone uh, into a microscope with this little slide that you put in the um, where you would put your headphone jack, and you put a sample on that, and it it creates a screen on your. Your smartphone, and you can measure the speed and the motility, essentially the health of your sperm. That's amazing. And because male fertility, cool. and um, you know, we don't talk about male infertility, and it's you know, in forty percent of cases of infertility, it's to do with the man. And we talk a lot about it in. You know, about men don't really think about, oh, what's the health of my sperm like? And now you can get a test that costs around 50 US um, dollars and you get a few, a few <laughs> I think it's a two-pack um, to test the health of your sperm. Bryony, that sounds
0: incredible. And I think I now have a new use case to share with people when they're asking me, Vanessa, what is sex tech? And uh, I think I can share something <laughs> that's very relatable and amazing that, you know, you're making these things um, more friendly for people. Uh, so that's that's fabulous. Look, I hope people do um, sign up to the Melbourne Sex Tech Hackathon. We'll post a link to that and, and people can find out about it really easily. It's on next weekend in Melbourne. Uh, do enjoy your time out here at Pause Fest as well. And uh, thanks so much for speaking with us this evening.
2: Thanks so much, guys. I've been uh, just realised I've been yelling premature ejaculation <laughs> down Burke Street in Melbourne. So if that's not <laughs> normalising the conversation. Welcome then, to uh, Melbourne. Yes. I'm not doing my job right. <laughs> Happy celebrity endorsement. <laughs> okay, okay, guys.
0: <laughs> Cheers. Good night. All right, guys. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye.
1: Bye. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up RRR.org.au to find out how.
0: Now, Disability Support Not-for-Profit Ideas has launched a bushfire crisis relief exchange website for people with disability to access equipment and non-perishable consumables for their needs in times of crisis. I think the bushfires have all been front of mind for us um, after this summer period where it's been very extreme conditions. Um, So the website eBility Bushfire Relief consolidates information for people with a disability and provides access to essential items and equipment such as wheelchairs, walkers and scooters. We wanted to speak to uh, somebody behind this amazing initiative and we now would like to introduce ideas executive officer diana palmer thanks for joining us diana
4: thanks it's good to be here
0: look great to to see this initiative obviously um the uh, complexity the extent of the fires the earliness of the fire season this year have taken um, a lot of us by surprise although mm-hmm. uh, increasingly we're hearing that it hasn't taken our fire chiefs and our meteorologists by surprise um, <laughs> how long has a website like this been in the works in order to be able to support through a crisis time
4: uh, look the website itself was um, actually um, done very quickly and it really came from uh the, the crisis of the fires post Christmas. Um, ideas had been doing, had been developing some information and collating information um, and disseminating some through our newsletters and other uh, resources that we maintain from about uh, July and August last year, because we were hearing that this bushfire season was going to be um, bigger than than. Um, what we're used to. Um, So we started putting together some information for people with disabilities to assist them look at their bushfire survival planning um, as well. But once we hit the crisis period, um, once we got to Christmas and, and post Christmas, um, we were getting calls from people asking for, did we know where they could go to find equipment? So we quickly went to our web developer partners partners and asked them if they'd help us. And within the space of three or four days, we put this website together and got that up live for people. And what it really is, is a, is a donation matching um, site so that people are able to donate spare equipment that they may have and then people with disabilities who have been displaced or who are looking for um, equipment because of um, um, they've lost equipment through the bushfires are able to then um, um, put up what they're looking for and hopefully we can mash, match those donations with the um, items that are wanted.
0: Diana, that sounds like an incredibly sensible and constructive you know approach to some of the challenges. I wonder... Mm-hmm. Um, were there challenges in terms of prioritising what sort of features to release first, or what sort of information to collect and, and think about, you yeah, know, in trying to respond yeah. to this crisis?
4: Yeah so, so when you talk about that I mean as I said in the early days we were looking at you know we were putting up information on our website on the ideas.org.au website um, putting up information um, to assist people look at managing um, their planning for the bushfire season so once we started um, getting into the period where there were bushfires we dedicated a page to that and started looking at equipment uh, sorry looking at um, information that people then needed if they were we're in the situation of bushfire so here where is the in new south wales the rural fire service website you know where are the links that you need to go for that where are the bushfire hotlines so the information we responded to the needs at the time and kept building that page and building the information there so that really it was at the point where um we as i say we got into a very crisis situation that we knew that there were people that were needing um equipment so we responded to that there and then you know so so, we're, we're in the business of providing information so that people can get on with life, and this is, was a period of time where we could see that people needed access to different sets of information so we responded by making that um, available in the same way that as we're into you know as we were post the bushfire um, themselves and people were getting into um, well not even recovery stage but just dealing with it um, and we know that things like the Centrelink mobile vans and in New South Wales service New South Wales provides mobile vans that they're going around and visiting the various um, communities that have been affected by bushfire we're putting out information uh, around Uh, their visits and when they'll be in different locations. Mainly because people with disabilities are usually coming to a trusted source um, for information and we've been in this business for over 35 years and certainly we have a a big following online as well as through our national toll free number and phone line Um, so we know that we're a place that people come to to look for information to assist them in their daily living.
3: It's really great that you highlight that uh, trustworthy factor, Diana, because one of the things that's become, you know, very apparent throughout this bushfire summer that we've had, is that a lot of the sort of more traditional sources of donations and assistance has simply been too slow it has been Mm. too cumbersome there are too many processes and Mm. you know we've seen a number of organizations you know one one that i saw spring up over twitter one night was you know find a bed which was literally locating homes and you know we were moving cows around in the middle of the night (laughs) um you know and um you know while it's it's been really interesting to watch how australians want to help and they have jumped to Mm. help um Mm. this obviously exposes Uh, Also, Australians in need to, you know, fraud or quick wins. Um, And, you know, so the fact that, you know, you and your team have got such a wonderful track history and a strong Mm -hmm. reputation and are in a Mm -hmm. position to do this is is a really Mm -hmm. powerful thing.
4: Yeah. Look, I, I I agree with you totally. I mean, if if we didn't have the infrastructure that we that we have available to us currently through our government funding, we wouldn't have been able to respond like we have been able to. One of the things that uh, I agree, the frustration with that, some things seem to be quite slow as it's coming out, and, and people were wanting. Um, Um, To access um, assistance um, immediately, and it was good that we were able to um, respond to that in the timeframes that we could. Um, We also have an accessible mobile toilet facility, and and we've had some frustrations around that because it's a really great um, facility that can hook up to a four-wheel drive and be towed to a place that's that's needed. And one of our frustrations was that we couldn't get that out to communities that we were aware of. That were needing um, a facility like that in evacuation centres that may not have had fully fully accessible um, facilities, or some um, surf clubs that were set up to to be used as evacuation points who didn't have um, accessible facilities. And for us, it was very frustrating that we couldn't get that toilet to some of those areas. Mm-hmm. Some of that was um, yes, the process of the, of the bureaucracy, but others, of course, was natural things like roads were actually closed, so we couldn't get we couldn't get through. Um, so certainly we've been impressed at how the community has stepped up and, and filled the gaps um, and we see that's part of our role. I mean, that's what we're here to, to do, is to support people with disabilities to get about their daily lives and we have skills and experience and expertise that allows us to step into something like this fairly quickly. Um, so it's something that we can see needs to be thought about in the future and utilised better in connecting with those organisations that can actually um, step in and and fill gaps at times that are needed.
0: Diana, as people with interests in technology and computing, you know, it's, it's really gratifying to hear that you could, you know, work with a web developer, you know, get things changed and be really responsive. But obviously connectivity, you know, in that, in that quest for information is, um, is really problematic during the fires. We know that AM services are really important to people, AM radio services. But tell us tell us more about um, your toll-free number and, and how how that service augments yeah. the stuff you're doing with the website.
4: And I think that's a really good point you've raised because we, um, we know that um, nearly 50% of people with disabilities, for whatever reason, don't have online connectivity at all. You know, they, I mean, a lot of it is about accessibility or affordability, um, but the facts are that nearly 50% of people with disabilities still don't have online access. Um, so for us, uh, when, as I say, we've been around for 35 years, we started off with the national toll-free number. We've maintained that national toll-free number right through that time and just added the technologies that comes on board. That technology will help, help certain cohorts of people and, and some people, but we know that um, telephone is an incredibly good way uh, for people to connect now that's based on that there is mobile um, coverage available or that there's landline um, access to that toll-free number so certainly that can be that can be an issue in um, disaster times and I'll say um, it's certainly something that we see as a major issue when you look at um, infrastructure across the country and what needs to be thought about in the future. But for us, um, while it's great for those people that can actually access the information online and are able to to do their searches online and get that information directly, we also find that that leads to other questions. And we love nothing more than having the person, the individual that's looking for the information ring so that we can actually listen to what they're trying to deal with today. You know? So generally what happens, someone will ring out our national toll-free number, our information officers will say, hello, it's so-and-so here, how can I help you? And then we'll stop talking and we'll listen to, to the person that's calling us. We'll listen to their story, we'll start unpacking the things that they're trying to deal with on the day and that doesn't matter whether it's about um, crisis information in bushfires or they're looking to go on a a holiday and they need to find some accessible accommodation. We'll actually listen to what they're looking for and then start putting together the pieces of information that can help solve that for them or give them options um, that are available. So it's really important um, for us and we really enjoy being able to talk to someone because it is about relationships with the person, you know, and the information is relational, you know. So so we find that um, while it's great to have people go and search online, the better way is to actually be able to talk to someone and talk through what they're dealing with.
3: Oh, absolutely. And um, for our listeners at home, um, you know, the eAbility website obviously fills a gap and it's, um, you know, a a two-pronged thing as as you've just, you know, described so eloquently, Um, you know, people in need can get in touch with you either online or on the phone and have Mm -hmm. that conversation. But if um, people at home want to help or assist, um, you know, how, how can they do that? Yeah, look, certainly,
4: if they're wanting, if if people do have some equipment that they would like to donate, um, they can go to the website and they can actually register there. So the website is um, ebility, so one word, e-b-i-l-i-t-y, dash au.
3: And we'll also uh, tweet a link out to that website through our okay. Bite Into It Twitter account so people can find and that it- easily.
4: They're also quite welcome to ring us on our toll free number and we'd be able to help them through that process if they needed to as well. Yeah. So that's one eight hundred O two Double Nine O four
0: beautifully shared diana thank you so much for sharing your story this evening it's been very heartwarming to hear the response and i know that people will want to help support we've been speaking with ideas executive officer diana palmer who've been doing great work to support people with disability during the bushfires with the ability-bushfire.ideas.org.au website thanks for your time diana
4: thanks very much
1: You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform.
0: We want to say a massive thank you to our guests this evening, Bryony Cole and Diana Palmer, also to our podcaster Yazan Saif and our talks producer Elizabeth McCarthy. Thanks, Warren, Rowe, Joe, and um, I'm not going to say thanks to me. Thanks, but, Vanessa. Um, thank you, <laughs> yeah, thank you, Vanessa. Thank you, Vanessa. <laughs> thanks for coming back and, and kicking Yay. off another bite for a year. Great to have you listening out there. Stay tuned. for